Between Two Ferns, the movie premieres on Netflix this weekend. It brings back the celebrity interview spoof that racked up millions of views since the first of its 22 episodes hit the internet in 2008. The film is a mockumentary about Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis, an Emmy Award-winning video series for the website Funny or Die. Co-starring with Galifianakis is Lauren Lapkus as Zach's assistant, who joins us today, along with the film's director, Scott Ackerman. Nice to see you both. Thank you so much for Hello. having us. Thanks for coming. You're between two guests right now. I am. I know. Wow. I mean, <laughs> what will happen? Uh, so I wanted to start. We'll get to Between Two Ferns in a sec. Oh, we better. Yeah, well, we will. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, okay. You've been talking Goodbye. about it all day, probably. So by the time you get here, you've... you've oh, no. I'm thrilled to keep talking. You've said everything there is to say about it, but I'll get you to do it again. But I wanted to... to uh, uh, talk uh, to sort of set the stage a little bit, let people know uh, exactly who you both are. And to do that, I was reading about you, and you both seem like you've wanted to be performers uh, forever. You used to host a cable access show called Centurion Heights, Scott. Uh, yeah, Centurion Highlights, actually. Highlights. Because yeah. – uh, uh, I was uh, I went to high school in Cypress, California, and we were the Cypress Centurions. That, that was our mascot. And so it was a high school public access show that I had where we talked about high school news, who won trophies, what the basketball team was up to. Did it play at school? It did not play at school. It just played on the local public oh, access wow. station. I, um, did, I did that show in Liverpool, Nova Scotia, and it was called Regional Report. And it wasn't until you described what the show was that I was like, oh, I totally did yeah. that too. Yeah. We have the same career. We do. Yeah. <laughs> you to much more acclaim than I. Well, that's not true. Uh, and then, Lauren, you and your brother used to film skits and yeah, sketches we and did. things when you were kids. And what like, what kind of sketches were they? We would do like commercial parodies. Um, there was one local commercial called Eagle Man Insurance, <laughs> and we did our version which was Raptor Boy insurance and uh, Raptor Boy, yeah, with a Jurassic Park. Uh, Is that Raptor so weird head. then that you were in Jurassic World after yeah. having? Yeah, it was. I mean, we were obsessed with that movie when we were kids. So I brought him to the premiere, and it was really it was a nice full circle. When, when you got that, we'll, we'll talk about the sketches again. But when you got that gig on on Jurassic World, uh, how mind blowing must have that have been? Have having been such a fan when? Oh you were yeah, it was incredible. I mean, when I auditioned, I don't think I even knew what it was for because it was so under wraps. Right. It, they they always have different names. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah was yeah. your dialogue? Oh no, look at that dinosaur <laughs> in this Jurassic World. My dialogue. In the audition was all about something approaching rapidly, but I I could have been like it could have been a plane. (laughs) It was very unclear to me, Um, but yeah, I was so excited. And, and so, okay, now going back to the sketches, so yeah. uh, you, you did that. What other kinds of things? We would do, like, music videos. Um, we did one uh, Ace of Bass song where I was the lead singer. <laughs> we put a fan in front of me, and I was probably 10 years old, uh, lip-syncing Ace of Bass. The really sad thing is that we did this all on our friend's, uh, his friend's family's uh, camera, and then right. it got stolen. Someone <sighs> broke in the house, stole the video camera with all the tapes, and they're gone. Someone's sitting on a gold mine right <laughs> now. Wow. It's so sad, because I have so few home movies, and I know those are out there somewhere, and they would be so dumb to watch. They're in the garbage, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, of course they are. They probably probably got sold. They sold the camera for a dollar and moved on. Well, did you have a thought when you were doing uh, Centurion Highlights that that it was just a thing to do in high school, or did you have a thought that you wanted to pursue something in front of a camera? Yeah, I had had been acting since I was, I want to say 12, but I know that I did church plays before that, Um, and my mom tells a story about how the very first church play I ever did, 
I got a laugh with something I said and my eyes went wide. <laughs> and I, and just like, that can happen? Um, so I, I knew I wanted to do something and it, it was like a lot of things in my career and my life, just something I fell into because someone asked me if I wanted to do it. And um, so, but it was, it was, I was super into David Letterman at the time. This is like 1985. And so I just did a shameless David Letterman kind of ripoff <laughs> when I was doing the show. And um, we, uh, a comedian, Jen Kirkman, had a show at the UCB Theater in LA uh, a few years back where she wanted us to bring in embarrassing tapes from our past. And I brought in this and we played it. And she came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I want you to bring in something that you were embarrassed by, not something you would be doing now. <laughs> wow. Wow. So my sense of humor hasn't changed at all, I guess. And Lauren, did you have a, a, a thought that, you know, your little commercial parodies and, and music video parodies would one day be in the garbage? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I mean, I, it was my dream from childhood to be a comedian. So I, I hoped for that, but didn't really know how that would ever happen. It's right. one of those things that there's no instruction unclear. manual at all of how to become a comedian or there are, there are some books like a book about the second city I read or a I read every one of those, yeah. but that's all but there it, was. It doesn't World tell you how to Saturday do it. Night Live. Yeah. 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 And you can't teach someone to be funny. No, I I, you, I think you can to a point. Mm-hmm. I think that um that people there are people who learn how to be funny and perform comedy by the numbers by in a way that it works. A lot. Yeah. Um but I think that a true fan can tell the difference. <laughs> I think so too. I and, know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> She's pointing at me by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Uncovered, <laughs> exposed. No. Well, uh, Scott, you grew up in in a very religious home. I mean, you went yeah. to church three times a week for all of your yeah your until time I was growing nineteen up. or something. And yeah. so, what was uh, your parents' attitude towards comedy? Did, I mean, you couldn't, I would imagine, have Eddie Murphy records at home and that kind. No, of thing. I, I remember I was playing a Steve Martin video that I'd rented um, from Blockbuster when I was 16 and I, my mom got home and I was very embarrassed by it because I think he said the F word. And, right. and um, yeah, it was, I mean, they, when I started doing comedy, it was one of those things where I felt very embarrassed by it. They didn't like it. Um, they watched, I, I got onto a television show called Mr. Show with Bob and David mm-hmm. and they uh, uh, would watch it and talk about how bad it was. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, uh, at a certain point, at a certain point, you just stop doing things for your parents, and you become yep. uh, a, a big boy. <laughs> and you I'm were... waiting for that day. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren's parents are very supportive, and uh, and in fact, come to our shows together. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it. They they always are supportive and have always like you know been excited about things that I'm doing. But it is funny when they come to the live comedy bang bang shows. Like even though I know they are on board and they think it's fun and funny, I still get nervous because I'm like, oh god, I'm going to say something dirty, and they're going to like. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, that's our child. <laughs> <laughs> they seem so proud, though. That they I, are. I, they are. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Do they ever critique you afterwards, saying like, "Why did you have to say that"? No, or? no, no, no. I no. think um, that's. I'm lucky in that sense. They yeah. they might say that to me in real life about things that I say. But <laughs> right. My grandmother once came to see a play I was in, and I didn't know that she was going to be in the audience. Mm. She didn't live in the town I was doing the play in, uh, and it was raunchy. It was a raunchy oh play God. with lots of language in it. And I looked down and she's sitting in the front. She's 80, oh. whatever. And I'm a kid. I was, she, right. was, she was much older. 
Uh, and uh, and I was horrified. And I get through it. We do the whole thing. And afterwards, I spoke with her and I said, you know, what would you think? Oh, you were very good. You know, all the oh, stuff. That yeah. said. And I said, what would you think of the language? And she said, and I swear to God, this is a quote. She goes, it might have offended some of the older people in the audience, oh, but I thought so it was great. okay. That's cute. Oh, that's so nice. How, how great would it be to have parents like that? <laughs> <laughs> My grandma watches everything. And I always get, I get nervous about stuff like that. But mm-hmm. she, she doesn't seem to mind. But I mean... I don't know. It's it still yeah. makes me feel scared. My my mom actually taped every episode of my television show, Comedy Bang Bang. They're all on her DVR. Wow, oh, that's wow. a lot. A hundred and ten episodes. That was yeah. the whole thing. And she would be like, "When are the DVDs coming out? I'd love to erase these." You know, but she so she is she that, that's a more lighthearted show. Uh, so she she really enjoyed that. I'm in conversation uh, with Scott Ackerman and uh, Lauren Lapkus. The movie is called Between Two Ferns. The movie, and it's on uh, Netflix right now. Um, you loved Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and and what do you think you learned from that? We talked earlier about the idea of like learning comedy or teaching yeah. comedy, but you learned by watching a little bit. And what did you learn? Oh God, I think I absorbed so much from watching that show. I mean, the I as when I was a kid, that show was on in reruns all the time, yeah. all day, all summer long, and I was just watching TV all summer and eating it up. And I think I really learned to just go for things really hard. I l- always loved, um, I mean, that was like the years of Mike Myers and um, Dana Carvey and, and David Spade and Chris Farley and all those guys really just go for it. Yeah. I uh, think that's something that I was really inspired by. And there was a, a really like Sherry O'Terry was there. There were oh, some yeah. really great female uh, uh, yeah, actors I, on that absolutely. show as well at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think for some reason the, I was always uh, really obsessed with like Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and those guys. And I, when I think of that time, I think of those guys first. But yeah. when I think about myself as I get older and the people I admired, they usually are women. And yeah, Tina Fey and Shannon, Polar, T- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it about comedy for both of you that made you think, ah, this is where I, this is where I should be? It was not something that I ever thought I could do because like we were talking about, there's no instruction manual. So I, it was just something I fell into accidentally. A friend of mine, I was writing plays at the time and, and she said, I really hate your writing, um, (laughs) but you're a really funny guy personally. Why don't you try doing comedy? So, um, her friend had a show at the comedy store and and put me up on it and it turned out to be uh, uh, her friend was Mary Lynn Rice Cub who's a comedian and um, it was a show that Janine Garofalo and Bob Odenkirk and David Cross uh, were on and it was just something that I loved the first time I ever did it and and but I just never thought anyone would like what I do which um, you know has kind of continued <laughs> to, <laughs> to today but um, it was just it it just felt like I was where I belonged and. And after the second time I did it, I just started calling myself a comedian, and it, it I became one. Yeah, I, well, and I think that's how it works. Yeah, you know, you self actualize and and yeah. create that thing. But Lauren, we just have a minute left or so. But you didn't do stand up; you went a different route. You were yeah. with the Upright Citizens Brigade, things like that, doing sketch comedy and improv, which is a different muscle again. Right? Yeah, and I mean that was the perfect. Um, place for me. I mean, I think I when I think about being a comedian as a kid, it's like it's such a amorphous idea. It could be anything. And stand up never really felt like my path. I, I always wanted to be characters and be someone else. And um, discovering the improv world was perfect for me. It was like a place where I really I mean, it took me years to start using my real voice in improv. I was told to do it at a certain point after I'd been doing it for probably five years. I was surprised to learn that there were only 22 episodes yeah. of Between Two Ferns. Over the, the past show. 11 years. Over we the would, past yeah. 11 years. Because it always seems to me 
that as I, you know, would be scrolling around, I would find a, a, an episode. And I think there must be hundreds of these things. We really had a thing about not wanting to burn people out on them. And mm-hmm. we intentionally I, I found that the perfect time in between them would be three months. Right. Because any more than that, and people would say, I'm, I'm sick of this or these are not funny. So um, but we would go a couple of years in between episodes sometimes. <laughs> but I think that really worked because it was always a delightful surprise. Like, yeah. oh, there's a new one. Like you just hadn't been thinking yeah. about it. And then. It yeah. Cool. You sort of get ambushed by them. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. yeah. And and so the setup here is that they are extraordinarily uncomfortable interviews conducted by Zach Galifianakis uh, on a set of a cable show with two ferns, one on either side, with major celebrities. And, you know, when you first started doing this, what were the, the, the reactions of, of the guests that you would ask on? I mean, I've often wondered and still wonder how much the person actually knows before they sit down. Now I would imagine that they have an idea of what essentially the show what's going to happen. <laughs> but in the beginning, it must have been different. In the beginning, it was easy because the people that we interviewed were just friends of ours. So the very first one we did was Michael Sarah, right. and he's so good at the uncomfortable reactions. Mm-hmm. And Zach is so good at being aggressive that the combination of of, of the two of them was really something special. And then we had Jimmy Kimmel on, and he was a friend of ours. And then um, we had John Hamm on, who, who would, had just started on a new show called Mad Men. Right. And he was an old friend of ours as well. And so those were really easy and, and fun for us. And then the fourth episode we did, um, Natalie Portman called and said, I'm a big fan of the show. Let me be on. And that wow. was that was when it started to get very difficult for us because right. we didn't know her. We didn't know how much we could say to her. At, at one point, there's a joke that I had written for Zach, which was, um, you shaved your head for the movie V for Vendetta. Did you also shave your V for vagina? (laughs) And Zach did not want to say it. And he, in fact, said to me, he pointed at it in the middle of the interview and said, I'm not saying this joke. And it it set up kind of a good cop, bad cop uh, dynamic between us, which has continued until the movie, (laughs) where he says he doesn't want to say something. And I say, you have to say it. And then he embarrassedly says, Scott's making me say this. And then he just says it anyway. But yeah, it, it became a little more difficult. Lauren, you were on set, I assume, for some of the interviews yeah. that happened in the film. Um, what's what's the vibe like when these are happening? Well, it's really exciting for all the rest of us who aren't a part of it because, I mean, having watched all of the episodes, I, I'm, I'm a fan of yeah. them. So it was very cool to see these celebrities come in and, like, the, the dynamic shift a little bit and the focus going towards them to make these interviews. And I just loved watching the process. It was fun to watch them get uncomfortable or laugh or whatever mm-hmm. was going to happen. Um, it was very cool for me. And are we talking about who's in the film? I mean, you can look it up on IMDb. Yeah, yeah. no, we are, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's Matthew McConaughey and... Tiffany Haddish, yeah. Keanu, Keanu Reeves, yeah. Aquafina, Paul, Paul Rudd, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, David Letterman, Brie Larson, um, wow. just so many incredible stars agreed to do Tessa it. Tessa Thompson. And, and uh, Keanu... You, I've read where you said that he was your favorite guest he of, was, of the bunch of well, them. Well, I was the most starstruck by yeah. him for sure. I mean, he came on set and it was like just like seeing a ghost or something. I truly, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, your hair stood on end, <laughs> it turned white, <laughs> and it never turned back. And I'm really frustrated. Um, no, he was just so, just so cool, and I've always yeah. loved him. And to see him in person was really exciting. And uh, he was so game and you know, read a poem. And they told really... me that Kiana was on set, and I was like, oh, I'll go talk to 
to him and I, I went over to where he was getting mic'd up and he had his shirt over his <laughs> head, just his naked torso greeted me. <laughs> and I told that to my wife and she was like, how was it? Yeah. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it's good. Yeah. My, it looks my, good. No complaints. My wife would push me into traffic to get at Keanu Reeves. I think oh, most yeah. people's yeah. wives would. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm in conversation with uh, two of the main players in Between Two Ferns, the movie. It's on Netflix right now. We have writer-director Scott Ackerman and one of the stars, Lauren Lapkus, with us. And we're talking about these incredibly awkward interviews that happen uh, on this show. Has there, in the history of doing the Funny or Die series and or the movie, has there ever been someone that you just said or that they said afterwards, I oh, man, you can't use part of this or I, I feel very uncomfortable with it. We, we, are, we want the guests to have a nice experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, look, I've done a lot of podcasts over the years and I've had my own TV show and I've been in the situation where a guest flips out. I don't know if you've been in that situation, yes. Yes, but uh, where a guest gets it's very exciting. upset. It's, it's <laughs> not exciting and a terrible day. So we want everyone to have a good experience. So we'll tell them beforehand, hey, if anything comes, we don't, we don't tell anyone what we're going to ask them because right. we want a genuine reaction. But we do say if anything comes up in the middle of, of us filming where you feel like you don't want that to be in the final cut, just raise your hand, let us know. We're, we're cool about it. And that usually happens once or twice per person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I love in uh, – it was in 2013 – Zach asked Justin Bieber, uh, it's really exciting to talk to you, especially right in the middle of your public meltdown. <laughs> uh, what was you, – you directed that yeah. episode. What, what was his reaction to that? So he really wanted to do it, and it was in the middle of his public meltdown. And I think he was even talking to Zach uh, during it about how hard it was to be essentially a child star. Yeah. And but he had he's he's a comedy fan. And so he really wanted to do it. He was very game. He was there for a couple hours and and and, you know, took it. And and Zach, I mean, these are pretty much improvised other than we write jokes for him to say, but they're improvised. And Zach whipped him with a belt and spanked him. and, (laughs) And he took it really, really well. But I think there's a certain thing with these celebrities where. They are nervous about it after they do it because they think, is this really funny? Was that experience something that I enjoyed? And until you put it out online and millions and millions of people say this is the funniest thing ever, then they relax and say they liked it. Well, essentially, they're not comedy performers, most of them. Right. And, you know, Zach Galifianakis or Lauren will understand where that line is. But if you're not familiar with that world, it can seem intimidating and terrifying. And it's personal stuff about them, too. So it's hard to gauge how people will react to that. The ones that we do with friends, like in the movie, Paul Rudd, we've known for a long time, and John Hamm, you know, I mean, they're always, I can just breathe a a sigh of relief and relax. Relax because as mean as you get with them, they're going to laugh it off and give it to Zach just as hard. It's just it's the serious actors that you never know how they're going to take it. Lauren, before Orange is the New Black and and the Big Bang Theory and uh, Crashing, we loved Crashing oh, so thanks. much, and it's it, it, I'm, I I feel sad for Crashing. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted more Crashing. It was so fun. Yeah, it's a great show. Before that, you did lots of commercials for things like yes. Snickers and Jack in the Box and that kind of thing. What do you learn from that? Is it just how to be in front of a camera, or is it just paying the bills? Oh well, it's a bit of both. I mean, at that time I was babysitting to pay my bills, so it was really exciting to get paid to act. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it was a, a, a kind of intense because if you've never really been on camera that much and then suddenly you're, you know, acting against Joe Pesci in a Snickers commercial, <laughs> the stakes are high. Were, um, you in that, were you in the Jack in the Box head? <laughs> was that you? <laughs> no, I was actually crying in the drive through because they didn't have breakfast all day at the location oh, that I was yes. at. And then they were now serving all day. Because um, of you and your <laughs> tears. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was a kind of a, a steep learning curve to, you know, I, the Snickers commercial was my first commercial, I think. And, uh, or no, wait, no, I did Bing.com, which I still use as my only search engine. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lot of pressure. I remember on the Bing commercial, where it's like a, it's basically just a series of random non sequitur words that people are saying. Uh, and I only had to say Animal House was my, the two words I had to say. But I was in the freezer section of the grocery store saying it, and I was getting colder and colder. And I eventually oh, no. said words that weren't even those two words. Like, I was just so out of my head. Bling farm. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, it was very stressful. Listen, as long as the check clears, yeah, it's a hit. it all worked yeah, out. It's a hit. <laughs> and sort of around, sort of probably around the same time, uh, Scott, you're doing stand-up and, and you're on television and things, but you're also writing lots of things. You were writing films and television and stuff, and you have to have a pretty thick skin uh, to do that. I think particularly in comedy where the writer doesn't often get as much credit as they deserve if they get any credit at all. Yeah, well, that's why I thank you for having me on this show <laughs> instead of just Lauren. I appreciate that. But, um, well, <laughs> they forced you. Um, I think, yeah, it, it, it was really, I, I went through a period of uh, at least 10 years where I was writing maybe three or four scripts a year and getting paid good money to do it, but none of them ever got made. That's something that people don't know, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting part of the business. You can make a living and never get a movie made. Yeah. yeah. We, you get about, I don't know, my quote at some certain points is like 250 grand per script or whatever. And then you, you, get, you get paid. For something that no one ever sees. Yeah. Hey. yeah. <laughs> you, but it, it becomes very just kind of soul sucking because, you know, I went from, you know, being on an Emmy nominated television show, Mr. Show, to just a 10 year stretch where the only thing that I ever got my name on was the animated movie Shark Tale. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it just, it just can, y- y- I bought a house and stuff, yeah. but like, you know, y- you're like, satisfying. I got into this business to make stuff. Well, it's not even, I don't think about feeding your ego at that point. You just want to make stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't care how much money they pay. Well, what am I saying? <laughs> don't don't put that out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that part. Out. No, but when I, when I got uh, offered to have my own television show, uh, that it was I, I literally said I don't care what you pay me, and that was until the third season. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, look, but um, but that's why I've done so many things for free over the years. Between two ferns, we just did for free, put them out just because we wanted to. Right. My podcast, I just started because I was bored and I was a scriptwriter and nothing was getting made, so I. Just just started it. And I think that can lead to some really interesting uh, career stuff when you're just doing something for the love of it. And, and you're doing it for yourself, too. I mean, it feels so good. I think there's a in this business, you have to jump through so many hoops and yeah. please so many people and change things because someone said and you don't even know who it was. And it feels so good, especially doing podcasts or making your own things just to feel like you have complete control. Yeah. And with Between Two Ferns, we would get a lot of notes from people wanting us to change it, or we would get sponsors who said, hey, we'll sponsor your thing if you sell out and do it this right. way. And even the Barack Obama one. Uh, I wanted to ask about getting Barack Obama on Between Two Ferns. It was, uh, we had been chasing him for a while because we just thought it was a funny idea yeah. of him doing this stupid show. Um, we never <laughs> expected him to do it. But then when when we heard that he was actually interested 
that's when it sort of starts when they start saying, yeah, but, you know, we need you to we need you to not really make the kind of jokes that you're normally going to make. We need you only exclusively to make jokes about the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> and that's honestly when two Zach's credit, he backed me up on this. We said, no, we're not going to do it if we can't do it the way that we normally do it. And to the White House's credit, they said, well, we want you to do it the way that you normally do it. And there were jokes in there that I never expected them to let us do. And and that's why I think it was successful is it felt authentic. Right. But when you when you get into a situation where you know, suddenly you're being offered to interview the president, it can be very easy to say, okay, whatever the final product, I don't even care if it's good. I just I'll, want the experience. I'll give them the questions in advance. Yeah. And we'll, yeah, yeah but yeah. we didn't want to do that. And, and with all of these videos, we just wanted them. They started out as our vision of just us filming it in a basement. We just wanted to keep that feeling going. Lauren, this movie is by and large improvised. I mean, we, there's what is it, eighty twenty? What? Uh, yeah, what there, you, what there are a say? few scenes that we shot at the end of the process in order to make everything make sense. There or has make, to be a structure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, tell me about walking into making a feature film, uh, and you've been in loads of television and big, like Big Bang Theory. I'm sure it was just like a, a oh, you know, a, like a machine, right? Yes. That you know, and it very structured, very, and and I would imagine that something like Jurassic World, you know, the, the every minute on that set uh, costs uh, five billion dollars. So you're not. <laughs> given the chance to improvise. and We and did get to improvise a little bit in Jurassic World, really? which was crazy because the director came from in the indie movie scene and was down for that, but that right. was, I'm sure, wasted a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was. this was a totally different experience because the whole thing was improvised, like all of our characters and mm. the scenes, all the dialogue. Um, and I mean, I loved it. It was so cool. I think the first day we came in, we just shot some stuff where Zach and I were just messing around talking for long stretches at a time, just doing bits. And I don't think any of it is in the movie, no, I don't but think it is, yeah. I, I really wanted to start because, uh, everyone sort of knew each other, but no one had worked together. Right. So I just wanted to start the movie. We built a fake public access station and I just, the first day I was trying to learn how to direct and what, you know, lights looked like and stuff. So <laughs> I just set up easy scenes between everyone of just like, Hey, have a conversation. Right. Zach, tell Lauren, you know, that you need more supplies and we'll shoot it in the supply closet. Yeah. And then these guys would come up with these just hilarious 20 minute takes of them being so funny. And then you get into the editing room and, and movies are all about plot and you go, okay, I can't yeah. use any of that. <laughs> but it was fun for us. I yeah. mean, I think that, and it was a great way to get to know each other really well so that when you, you know, as it went on, it was really easy just to improvise together. Well, because Zach Galifianakis isn't an improv. Not a trained one. No. Not a trained one. I but mean, he's, he's a very, great one. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's very quick. Yeah. And, and, but he, I think of him as an actor in stand-up before improv. And Lauren, your background is primarily improv with mm -hmm. acting all mixed up in, in one thing. Was there a, 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 like a, not butting heads, that's not the right way to do it, but, but uh, the two different styles coming together, was, was there any uh, workaround that you had to do there? Really, no, That's because no, but I, I, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer, no. No, but because Zach is so funny and right. down for everything, I think he really comes to the whole process with with like an open heart. So it was really easy to improvise with him, and I I really cherished it. It was really cool. I will say that when when we started, I started really being proud of the casting and sort of saying. 
and and believing this that you know eighty percent of directing a movie is casting it well, and we we had a lot of auditions where people improvised a lot, and we didn't even tell them you know what the script was or what right. character they were going to do. We just said come in and improv with Zach, and and I would try to fit all these great improvisers in, even if it was a tiny one uh, one scene role. Right. Uh, and they were auditioning for a bigger role just because, you know, when you have super funny people there, you can't help but really just come out with a, a funny product. Here's the thing I find kind of funny about this is that all day you two have been doing press for this movie. <laughs> and this movie is kind of a takeoff on what it's like to do press for right. a movie <laughs> yeah. and that sort of thing. It's poking fun at the junket process. At, Which we're a part of right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the kind of inane stuff that you get asked. Which what we're a part like of right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, that's a slam and I don't mean to do that to you because you're a great interviewer. No, but but that's that's what this, and, and I did those for many years. I did yeah. 15 years of, of wow. those before I ran screaming away from them <laughs> yeah. because, you know, you get four minutes and, and they are unsatisfying and, and, and I'm sure for a movie like Jurassic World, if you did the junket for Jurassic World and sat there while 50 people asked you the same questions over and over and over it's again. It's kind of mind-numbing. mind-numbing yeah, it's right? weird how your brain starts to melt and then you're like, I don't even know if I'm saying something that makes sense anymore. Or I'm... if I've already said this in the same interview. Right. right. Yeah. 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 We did some together the other day and that was really fun because <laughs> it, it just got insane where <laughs> we weren't treating any of the questions seriously. We were just and... improvising ridiculous answers. I mean, I think yeah. that, was, that made it so much more fun for us, us I don't know. I have no idea if it was usable or not on the other end, but we had fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I mean, but you know, you interview people mm -hmm. and on podcast, I want to talk about podcasting as mm -hmm. well, because sure. both of you have made such crazy strides in podcasting and finding voices in podcasting when everyone's got one. There's 600,000 podcasts yeah. in the U.S. right now or some crazy mm -hmm. number like that. And yet you have both found success in it. But you interview people. And and so I guess you have an inside track on what it's like because your podcasts, Lauren, are a little different. You, yeah. They're, they're character-based. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. My podcast, I actually don't do serious interviews anymore because I started off doing a comedy show where I was interviewing people. This is pre-Mark Marin WTF. Yeah. And uh, my uh, station manager at the time said, you know, when I hired you for the show, I thought you were going to do comedy, not talk about comedy. <laughs> and so I just segued into having comedians on actually doing bits and having characters on. So when I do, I, but I also have real people on. So when I do an interview, though, I'm certainly not doing a serious interview. I right. don't care about the answer. Uh, I'm in character a little bit when I'm doing right. it as the dumb talk show host. Uh, but it's not like Between Two Ferns where I'm being mean. I'm just mm -hmm. like ridiculous, you know. But I, I, for me, that's just so much more fun. And I think for the celebrity, it's a little more fun uh, to not have to answer the same questions over and over. Well, I also think that uh, now with the way that the world has changed so much, if you say one thing that yeah. people don't like. You get beaten up for you're it. You're canceled. Yeah, you're canceled. And, you know... I expect to be canceled off of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to the juicy stuff yet. Uh, but, it, it, but that is a, a, a thing, and I'm finding that more and more uh, people are reluctant to have you know, in-depth kind of serious conversations about things uh, in a public forum because they're afraid. Well, I think... I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, when you talk extemporaneously on stuff like this, it can be easy to slip up or say yeah. something you don't stand behind. I don't know. I, but I, I think generally people are 
fine with, you know, if, if you can't, if you stand behind what you say, then just explain why you said it. If you can't and you go, no, that was a slip up, people are like, okay, we get it if you apologize genuinely. Mm-hmm. It's it's the apology that people don't get right, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Lauren, your uh, podcast with special guest Lauren Lapkus is a very cool idea. So oh, thank you. It, it, it's an improvised podcast. And from my understanding, and you can tell me if this is right or not, you don't know what's coming at you and it'll be like you are Santa Claus on the North Pole and it's Christmas Eve exactly. and you improvise a podcast. Yeah, so my guest is the host. So I'll invite an improviser onto my show and tell them it's your show. You decide what the show is going to be about. You decide what character you're going to play or you can be yourself and you come up with a character for me and you don't tell me anything until we hit record and then we just improvise for an hour in that show that exists for one episode and then goes away. So. Wow. And do you edit or do you, you know, or is it just pure I I mostly don't edit. Yeah. I think every I'll only edit something out if it, if it feels like inauthentic or like we messed right. something up or something that doesn't make sense. I, yeah. I usually keep everything in. And I also think sometimes those are kind of fun moments to leave in because especially for listeners who don't have improv readily accessible in their town to go mm-hmm. watch on stage. It's kind of cool to see someone make a quote unquote mistake and then fix it. Yeah. I Listen, I think that authenticity in podcasting is the thing that separates it completely from Broadcast most broadcast. Can you, know, you edit this out, by the way? I can, <laughs> if you like. I'm not going to. But oh I can. no, he has the power. Uh, I have the power, <laughs> but uh, I I think that's the difference, and that's why people uh, are drawn to them because you do get you know it's a different feel, it's a different vibe than podcasts are so cheap to make mm-hmm. that you know people can just do what they want on them. It's the if you're making a television show, the stakes are so high, in a yeah. movie the stakes are so high. Where like you said, every second you're filming costs so much money, but a podcast you can do whatever you want and it's yeah. cheap. It's cheap. And it's just finding an audience is the trick. Yeah, that's is, the trick. Is, is breaking through yeah. the noise. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. But it is so cool for us to be doing improv podcasts. Like you said, Lauren, you know, people don't have improv where they live usually. Um, you have to live in Chicago or L.A. or, or New here. York or yeah. here or Toronto, uh, which has the great second city. But um, if if you're not from there, this is kind of the only way people can hear this style of comedy. And so it's it's really cool that they get to do it. Yeah. People must say to you all the time, like, oh, you know, you, you're you not making all this up off the top. You must get that all the <laughs> oh, time. Oh, yeah. People yeah. are really surprised that it's improvised. And I think it's hard for some people to wrap their head around. Um, but it is. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> there are, there are, Stop asking me that. There are, there are two Canadian. Canadian improvisers named uh, Naomi Snidekiss and Matt Barham. They are uh, husband and wife. And I think they live Sexy. in L- and, yeah. yes, and they live in L.A. now, I think, but they come back and Sexy. forth. Sexy. But they do improvised musicals. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. We have Those a show so- like that on our network off, called Off Book with Jess McKenna and Zach Reno, and they do one every single week, and it's they're incredible. And, yeah. this, and this is your network, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And- I started it uh, uh, with another person 10 years ago. And it's Earworm, right? Ear- Earwolf. Earwolf and and Stitcher and yeah and uh, that's entrepreneurial. Yeah, I you know because I was kind of a frustrated screenwriter and not getting a lot of stuff done. I also really liked producing and I liked just doing stuff. So I had a live show in Los Angeles, which ended up at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in L.A. for for 10 years. And I would just do things that I thought were ambitious and cool. Like on a Halloween show, I would I would make a Halloween maze to get into the theater (laughs) or, you know, uh, doing an all night show that would get out at eight in the morning. You know, I, I just loved the ambition of doing stuff. Stuff like that. So when I start doing a podcast, the idea of getting a bunch of like-minded friends together 
and, you know, creating an aesthetic more than just having my own show and just worrying about myself really appealed to me. Lauren, we're, we're, now we're running out of time. And I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Between Two Ferns, the movie is the movie is uh, on Netflix right now. That's what we're here to talk about. But I, I don't want to let you go uh, without asking what advice you would give uh, for women in comedy. Now we've seen so many uh, really funny women uh, uh, come to prominence in mm-hmm. the last number of years after people like Adam Carolla and Jerry Lewis and would say things like "Women can't be funny; oh they're God. not funny." Um, you know, obviously, you know, wrongheaded and incorrect. Yeah. But it's changed, but there's a, a generation, a new generation coming up now. I think that would like to hear what you have to say. What advice? Yeah, I mean, I think just being true to your own voice and following your instincts um, and not giving up. I mean, I think there are there are those people out there, but they're few and far between. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who believes that. Yeah. Um, and if you perform where I perform, that's just obviously not the case. There are, I know, hundreds of hilarious yeah. women. Um, yeah, I think following your your goals and not giving up is my my main advice. So between two ferns, the movie uh, on Netflix, Scott, I've been told that you had some ideas for this. Take it to a foreign country. Do it. How did you finally decide to turn it into kind of a road trip film? It was a multi-year process where a few years back we decided we wanted to do it, and we Zach and I got together with a few writers and we just started pitching out ideas. and And at the time. Zach had something that he really wanted to do, and he he talked with me about it, and he said, I want, you know, to be a rodeo clown, and I want to be – I want Martha, Martha Kelly as my assistant, um, this comedian we both knew. And I, I kept listening to the idea saying, yeah, but how do we fit the celebrities into it? And he didn't really know. He just wanted to do it. And that all, that all turned into Baskets, his TV mm-hmm. show. And um, once that got out of the way, I started watching things like Spinal Tap or Wayne's World or Borat. And I started just really realizing that the less story, the better. Um, You know, these have very, very simple stories. And so we didn't need to do something as convoluted uh, and thematically ambitious as as we were originally thinking. And so people just really want to see comedians goofing around and having fun. and, And so we got out of the way of it. Keep it simple. Yeah, stupid. Stu- stupid. Yeah, Thank yeah, you yeah, you were going to call me stupid. I knew it. And nope. I was bracing myself. Nope, nope. nope. <laughs> I had at one point when I first started writing, I had uh, a Kurt Vonnegut thing that I pulled out of Rolling Stone magazine when it was still like a big broadsheet. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it was the middle two pages. And I put it up and it was Kurt Vonnegut sitting at a, at a typewriter. And it said, Kurt Vonnegut's 10 rules for writing. And uh, the first one was tell the good story. And the next nine or keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, El- Elmore Leonard talks yeah. about that too. Like don't use uh, adverbs. And, and-, and don't use more than one exclamation mark every hundred thousand yeah, words. Exactly. <laughs> I try to do that in my emails, but I feel I like it comes off really rude. No, yeah. now <laughs> the exclamation mark has become the period. It has. If you don't use an exclamation mark, people think you're being a jerk. I well, know. there's no tone, right? There's no tone in emails. Yeah. So, you know, that's what the... You that, have to convey excitement or happiness yeah. through that, you know. Perfect. Exclamation mark. I send a lot of those. Me too. I'll meet you at Starbucks. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) Uh, The movie that we have uh, been talking about on and off is called Between (laughs) Two Ferns. The movie, uh, it's on Netflix right now. Please Uh, don't turn it on and off. Keep it on. (laughs) Keep it on forever. (laughs) On a loop. Uh, And... Uh, in our final seconds, 83 minutes long. Yeah. Perfect length for comedy. 
Yeah, I took a look at movies like Popstar or yeah. Spinal Tap, and they all were under 85. And so, you know, I think that's just a great length. It mm-hmm. is a great length. Uh, and I've been uh, pleased to speak to the writer and director, Scott Ackerman, and one of the stars, Lauren Lapkus. Thanks so much for coming. What a Thank pleasure you to so much for having us. Yeah, I appreciate you liking the film, uh, although you never said that. I did. <laughs> I, well, I, you can use that quote. You okay, can use thank that you. as a quote on the poster. Uh, my thanks to you for listening. My thanks to Andre on the board. And we'll talk to you again next week.